The scripture reading this morning is from 1 John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, good morning. Uh, if you don't, if I've not met you yet, my name's Gabe Coyle. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, just, I love starting off Christmas season with all of you. It's really good to be together um, around the holiday cheer. And something happened to me this last week. So my wife and I, uh, we were driving and we heard this awful screaming coming from the back seat of the car. Now, if, if I'm honest with you, I thought one of my kids had like punched, scratched, or spit on the other. Um, so I was anticipating looking in the rearview mirror and seeing like blood or fisticuffs or angry scowls. But instead, when I looked in the rearview mirror, I saw this huge smile on both of my kids' face and this sparkle in their eye as they're pointing out their window. Now, at this point, I realized what it was. House after house after house were covered with lights, animatronic deer, you know, these inflatable Santas, and they were just caught up in wonder and awe. My son, Israel, who's just now over two years old, this is his first time to really see, to take in all of the wonder that is Christmas. And so by this point, they finally were able to put some words to their excitement and I, see, I hear them. I don't even need to see them. I hear them at the top of their lungs screaming, there's another one. There's another one. There's another one. You know, it was, it was awesome. Even though it was 60 degrees outside, somehow we were transformed into this winter wonderland. And there, there's something about this time of year, isn't there? And, and you don't have to just be a kid to like feel it. There's wonder in the air that we breathe and it's sprinkled in our gingerbread lattes. Like, Wonder, this sense, is, is, is everywhere. And this something that I'm talking about is the magic of Christmas. You know what I'm talking about, right? It, it's, you can you begin to hear some of those Christmas songs that you've always loved. Some of you, Handel's Messiah, it just brings you to a new level of transcendence. For me, it's Whitney Houston's uh, Who Could Imagine a King from Preacher's Wife. That it just It brings me to tears. It reminds me that there's something bigger than what I see. And maybe it stirs up feelings that have been dormant for at least a year and they're finally resurfacing. This is the power of the magic of Christmas. And this power of, of the magic of Christmas, it's so powerful, in fact, that you don't have to be religious to experience it. Whether you're religious or not, you may not even believe in miracles, but as soon as we hit December, as a culture, the phrase, a Christmas miracle, right, shows up about as common as those ugly Christmas sweaters that are just everywhere, and there's, yeah, some of you are like, yeah, I'm going to be wearing one of those. Bring it on. I'd love to see it. The thing with Christmas, 
the thing with Christmas is it opens us up. It opens us up to so much more. We begin to, to be willing to, to receive so much more. And specifically in this realm of like Christmas magic. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about the hocus pocus sorcery kind of, we've, we've told our kids this kind of magic is not real. Not, no, no, no. I'm talking about amazing things that can break into our world that, that are beyond rational explanation, what we often term as supernatural, that kind of magic. It seems to be alive this time of year. And even if you're cynical, you may not think that the world feels that enchanted. You may not feel like the world feels more grandiose or mysterious, but you can't deny that it feels haunted by something bigger. Like there was something there and now it feels distant. I love what pastor and author John Ortberg once said. He said, every age has produced fairy tales. Something inside us believes or wants to believe that the world as we know it isn't the whole story. We long for the re-enchantment of reality. And whether you want to call it enchantment, whether you want to call it magic, whether you want to feel like it's more haunted than enchanted, Christmas makes believers of everyone in many ways. And so this Christmas season, we're going to listen and learn from someone who wants us to be unashamed, unashamed to believe in a magical world again. The Apostle John, someone who walked and talked with Jesus, the Son of God, wrote down what he saw, what he heard, what he felt when walking and talking with Jesus so that we might believe in this magic once again. And to be clear, I just want to make this explicit. The magic I'm talking about is that there is something supernatural. This is so important for us as modern people to recognize. As modern people, the very breaking in of something supernatural feels magical, feels outside of the scope of possibility. That when something amazing happens, there must be a logical explanation when in reality, God might be breaking into his world. So where does John start with this magical Christmas story? Interestingly enough, if you were to look at the other three gospel accounts we have in scripture, he starts in a very unique place. If you look at Mark, where does Mark start? He starts with the ministry of Jesus, with what Jesus is doing. If you go to Matthew and Luke, they go back a little bit further and they go to the manger and even a genealogy, when we look at the historical trajectory of Jesus and who his parents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents were. But John goes back even further still. John goes back to a place that is untouchable with the tools of observable, measurable, repeatable science. He brings us back to a world that's only imaginable and dreamable. And this is where the magic of Christmas begins. I mean, if you're here this morning and you're hungry for a re-enchantment of life, if you're discontent with the lie that is prevalent that this world and what we see is all that there is, and you're hungering for more, well, I hope we rediscover that more this morning. Would you please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you're using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 886. And John begins... His account this way, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Now, if you're new to Christianity, you need to understand that John was a thoughtful Jewish man in the first century. And as a thoughtful Jewish man, he, 
he actually was saturated with the Hebrew scriptures, what we have organized in our Bible today as Genesis through Malachi. He saw, understood, and interpreted his world through this lens of the Hebrew scriptures. And right here, he's making an explicit reference to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, which literally means beginnings. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 reads, In the beginning, God. So John 1, 1, in the beginning, was the word, or in the beginning, the word was the word. And John, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God. And what John is doing, I hope you see this explicit reference. What he's doing is he's saying, as we think about the beginning of the world, if you're familiar with the creation story in Genesis 1, there's actually more going on here than we ever realized. You see, Genesis 1 was already a unique creation story this world over, where God said, let there be, and it was. There's this out of nothing creation going on where God speaks dirt, plants, mountains, oceans, the intricacies of those annoying bugs that crawl and bite you, then, and also the most exotic of animals. God speaks, and he spoke them into existence. We see the power of his supernatural word bringing life where there was nothing, order out of chaos. But interestingly enough, John doesn't talk about his word. He doesn't talk about God's word. He talks about the word. Do you see it there in your text? A particular kind of word, the logos, as you would say in the original Greek. And this logos was a loaded term in the first century. For example, when I say the word Santa, you think of a rotund gentleman with a red coat and a large white beard. If I say Rudolph, you think of a reindeer sponsored by KCPNL. That is the kind of things that pop in your mind. Similarly, in Greek philosophy, logos triggered in the thoughts of every reader the philosophy behind everything. Logos holds the universe together. Regardless of whether you were Jew or Gentile in the first century, logos was the buzzword for this mystery, this magic, the word behind the universe. And so John says this logos, this magic, the word, it isn't new. It's actually always been there. In every philosophy, every religion, every scholar, when they're seeking for truth, when they're seeking understanding, they're seeking this word, this magic behind the universe. And it's always been this way since the very beginning. Look with me again at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. John begins to expand what he's talking about here. We also notice that this magic was present with God, but distinct from God. It was not two ways of seeing the exact same thing. It was in relation to God, but still distinct. Continuing on, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is where the mystery really, I think, starts to get really thick. It's distinct from God. This magic was simultaneously God. And then he goes one step further as we see in verse 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He. Now, that may not sound revolutionary to you. 
But this is where John lets us in on the fact that the magic behind the universe is not mere philosophy or principle. That if you just tackle that philosophy, if you just tackle that principle, you can understand the secret to success to navigating the universe. John is saying this is more than just understanding some abstract, broader philosophy of the universe. It's not a something. It's not just an idea. It's not a fairy tale. Instead, John makes clear that the magic of the universe is a person. And this was revolutionary. And John's saying, I, I know this sounds mysterious. This magic was with God and was always God from the beginning. This magic is a person and he wasn't created like everything else we see, but is uncreated. He's eternal. He's always been. There was no beginning for him because you can't have a beginning if you were there for the beginning. Make sense? Good. And when it comes to the beginning of everything, we read in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So the person who was in the beginning is the magic of the universe. He was with God. Simultaneously, he is God. And through him, everything was made. Everything. It's not a mere principle, a mere philosophy. This logos is actually a person. So who is this already? And John makes himself much more explicit when you get down to verse 14 when he says, and the word, this logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. The enchantment of the world, the magic of the universe, the order of life is none other than the touchable, real, down-to-earth, historical person of Jesus. And what John is saying is Jesus is the magic of the universe. And so the magic of Christmas, and this is why when we come to this time of year, when we remember how he entered his world, it feels so enchanted because as magical as it may be to try to conceive, to conceive a virgin conceiving and having a child as a teenager in the first century, as amazing as that is, that's not even the greatest and the most amazing thing that happens. What's most amazing is that this son is Jesus, the son of God, who was with the father, fully God, all the way from the beginning, uncreated, and yet the one who figured out the details of the intricacy of the ant and also holds the grandeur of the stars in his hands. And he came to this world. That is mind-blowing. That the magic of the universe, beyond a rational explanation as to how, actually enters his world. Can you get your, I don't know if, about you, but that's hard for me to wrap my mind around. That he's not created, that he's eternal and yet became human. And then if you're anything like me, you have to ask the question, why? Because as astounding as that is, why on earth would someone with such unspeakable power go through such great lengths? to enter the world in such a strange way. Well, look with me here at verses 4 and 5. John writes, In him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The reality is that you and I have forgotten what it means to really live. And Jesus doesn't want, us, want to leave us in the dark there. Jesus holds the power of life, eternal life, which 
for us, when everything else in life comes to an end, the idea of eternal or everlasting life that knows no end, doesn't that just sound magical in and of itself? And Jesus holds all this in his hands and he breaks into his world. Why? To now come offering life as if light in the midst of darkness. You see, at the heart of this enchanting story, at this moment in history, we see that Jesus wants to wake you and I up to a magical life with him. And I know that sounds a bit fairy taleish, and that's because we far too often in our modern way of perceiving the world can't imagine something breaking in from the outside and transforming the natural flow of our lives. This is what magic is. It's that supernatural interworking, this amazing thing that could happen that defies or is beyond rational explanation. Not that it's irrational, but it's beyond what we can often comprehend. Supernatural. And isn't that what many of us long for when it comes to the magic of Christmas? That it starts to warm our hearts that we start playing Christmas music in July? <laughs> That's just me. Well, maybe you're here and you're just tired of the natural flow of things. Maybe you're here and, and, and honestly, the, the, the magic of Christmas and the blessing of Christmas can feel more like a curse than a blessing. Because the, the, the nature of Christmas is such that the greatest joys are amplified, but so are the greatest of wounds. And maybe some of your greatest memories of a recent lost loved one become amplified this time of year. You see the empty chair where once you had great memories just a year or a few years before. You know the phone will remain silent if you try to pick up and give them a call. Or maybe, maybe just life is a lot right now and Christmas just sounds like one more burden to carry. And you're hungry for something more, something more than this life offers, more than what you just see in front of you. And in our modern framework, it feels weak or vulnerable to admit you even want more. And so you feel ashamed. Well, listen, if this kind of magic is real, if Jesus, who holds the universe in his grasp, and if Jesus came to wake you and I up to a magical life with him, an eternal life that's beyond our comprehension, here now and into eternity, then hope isn't just possible, it's probable. And darkness doesn't have the final say in your life. Catastrophe isn't the period at the end of your story. Pain doesn't have to dominate your existence. We can finally see a world enchanted again. And you know all that's required? All that's required to engage this kind of life, to attain that sort of magic of eternal life here, now, and into eternity, the life that's only exclusively found in Jesus, is belief. Belief. You know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room or the smartest person in the world. You don't have to have all the wealth and resources in order to purchase this kind of life. You don't even have to go and try to figure it out on your own and try to explore and hope that you might get it in the end. It isn't culturally bound such that if you're born in one space, then you're predetermined to never ever own or have this kind of belief. No, it's above all of that. It's about believing and trusting in this person, the person of Jesus Christ. And this is what John points out when you reach the end of his gospel account. So we started here at the beginning and you think of the bookend. When you get down to John chapter 20, 
verses 30 and 31, he writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The entire reason, the so that, for recording the miracles of Jesus, the insight of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is that we might believe. And not just any blanket belief in any beliefs that we would like. No, 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 no. Look in our text. Instead, it is belief that Jesus is who he said he was. The Son of God, the magic of the universe, come to give us life that is more abundant than just what this world has to offer. So let me ask you this morning. In the light of all of that, and I want you to be honest with yourself, do you believe? If this is the clear marker to gaining the life that God has come to give us, do you believe? Do you believe that someone as magical and mysterious and robust as the person of Jesus existed in history? That he existed before history and still exists today. More than just an idea. More than just a quote unquote what we often consider nice story. But a historical person that the people who recorded their eyewitness accounts are telling you the honest truth. Do you believe? Do you? Because if we're honest, we all know we believe something, don't we? And you know what's interesting? I was thinking about this this week. While we receive the life that Jesus has come to offer through belief, the inverse is also true. And this is what I mean. You can discover what you really believe by then looking at your life. So you receive the life that Christ has come to bring by belief in Christ. But you can also look at your life to determine what you believe. You can look at your life to determine... What choices are you making? What choices are you not making? How are you paying attention to your life or ignoring aspects in your life? And it will reveal what you trust most, what you believe the most deeply. The English word belief, it actually comes from the Anglo-Saxon word by life. And the interpreters chose that to carry forth this meaning of the original Greek. You reveal what you trust and believe is true by how you organize and live your life. So let me ask you, what does your life say about what you believe? What does your life say about what you believe? Are you unaware that you're actually leading your life as if you believe the world is unenchanted? As if this world is all that there is? Do you believe that someone like Jesus, who is the Son of God who existed before time, entered time, and still exists today, who calls for our belief and our trust, and actually can do amazing things in this world even now and will do amazing things with this world still to come? Or is truly our belief only in what we can do for ourselves? And so it limits our ability to forgive. It limits our ability for generosity. It limits what we do so with our lives and sacrificial service for others. And so do we perceive the world as all that there is with what we can taste, touch, and smell. Do you believe? What does your life say? Well, this Christmas season, I, I want to challenge us. It's something I want, I, want, I want to challenge for myself and my family. It's something that John, I believe, is challenging us with this morning. 
no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, I want you to let Jesus wake you up to the magic. I want you, I want you to let Jesus wake you up to the magic. Let Jesus surprise you this Christmas season. This isn't just a neat idea, but this is the person who's seated at the right hand of God the Father and is working in his world. He's real. Lean into the magic of what God has done in history at Christmas. And I don't mean the 25th of December as a historical marker that helps the church then celebrate what God has done in Christmas, but what has actually happened that God became flesh, the creator of the universe, entered his universe. Lean into that. Because there's so much more to this life than we often give Jesus credit for. And, And you know someone who was woke to this magical life. Um, I think he's one of the most unexpected characters of all. He, he's the character, the author of what we're reading this morning in John chapter 1. The apostle John himself, I think, is one of the most unlikely characters to believe. John was Jewish, heart and soul. I mean, he went to bed and he woke up saying the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And as a thoughtful Jewish man, to say anything else was God other than God sounded blasphemous, revolutionary. And he knew the drastic nature of his claims. That he would say that this man, Jesus, was the Christ and would then die scandalized on a Roman cross. That's God? That's God. And not only that, not only was John Jewish, but he was Jesus' friend. (laughs) Have you thought about this? I mean, John was included in like the inner ring of the three most closely associated with Jesus and spent three plus years with him. He saw Jesus when he was at his most vulnerable, at his weakest, and at his most popular. And all three of those scenarios, those are pressure points that reveal any cracks of character if they happen to reside. I want, think of it this way. Maybe the best parallel is, think of any friend in college. What would it take for them to believe that you were God? <laughs> Some of you got scared for a second. Don't worry. I mean, John watched Jesus do things he couldn't explain. And sure, he still had his questions. But despite John's Jewishness, maybe in light of John's Jewishness, when he came to understand the Hebrew prophecies all the more, and despite his proximity and intimate friendship with Jesus, John could not help but see that Jesus was the magic behind the universe, that he was God incarnate, the very son of God, very God of very God who entered this world to bring life to this world. Because while John wasn't there personally for his birth, John was there for something that is beyond rational explanation. Yes, he walked with Jesus and saw his miracles. Yes, he saw Jesus crucified on the cross while he was there with Jesus' mom, Mary. But what he saw three days later defies explanation. No other religion and no other man has claimed to be able to do what Jesus has done. John saw and experienced and touched the physically resurrected Jesus. And that's the only thing that makes sense of John's willingness thereafter to be persecuted, ostracized, and even exiled to the island of Patmos. All because he wouldn't be silent about Jesus. He could not be silent about Jesus. He saw something, someone so magical, and that transformed how he saw the world with such vigor 
that he was willing to give anything that this world had to offer in order to trust and to serve Jesus. He knew and believed in the resurrected Jesus as the only magic, the logos of the universe. So I want to ask you this morning, if one of the most unlikely of characters has written the story of what he's seen and heard and become a true believer, do you believe? (coughs) Have you let Jesus wake you up to the magic, the magical life with him, where the natural flow of things doesn't have to determine the flow of your life? Because you know what will happen is you'll never look at the world the same way. And maybe, just maybe, not with the same naivete as my children, with greater maturity, we too can now see the world with a sense of wonder and start shouting with one another, there's another one, there's another one, there's another one. Wouldn't that be magical? Hmm? Well, it's not impossible. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that you have spoken to us. You spoke and creation came to being. You spoke and you've given us guidance in your word, in your world. And then your word became flesh. Holy Spirit, convict us. Help us in our unbelief. Help us to trust the eyewitness testimonies of those who walked and talked with Jesus. And may our lives be transformed by our trust in the person and work of Christ. God, may this not just be a neat idea, but may we follow the person of Jesus. And may you wake us up to the magic, the the fact that you can do amazing things that even are beyond our rational explanation for your glory and you can intervene in the natural flow of our lives. God, we need you. We trust you. Help us to trust you more this season. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen.